I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes, there's a big bait and switch going on in the hotel business. I want to tell you the latest on how hotels are trying to rook you. And coming up yet later, prescription drugs are accounting for more and more of our medical costs. There's a new tool coming out to help you find the best deal before you go to the doctor or after you've left his or her office. Talk right now about something freaky weird. Do you know in Sweden, where people virtually never use cash? I mean, by cash, I mean uh, notes like, like we would have the bill or coins. In Sweden, it's like not used at all. It's like less than 1% of all transactions now are done in any form of cash. Everybody uses either plastic or an electronic form of payment. Now, thousands of people in Sweden, according to the New York Post, have gotten a chip implanted in them about the size of a grain of rice, and they now pay by holding their hand up. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. There's a picture in the New York Post of somebody who found it a lot more painful than they thought it would be getting the chip implanted. But the idea of getting the chip implanted is full creep-out factor. Uh, I mean, man, I mean, what information would government have about you? What information would business or banking have about you as you walk around with a chip implanted in you? It's bad enough with how people take information from our phones pinging and use it. But that's an idea that uh, let Sweden keep that one. They don't need to export that. Here's another thing that's coming, according to the Financial Times, is tag or plate readers at fast food restaurants. The whole thing at fast food restaurants is to get people not to abandon you and move them through the drive-thru really quickly. So there's a technology that's been developed that's not legal in every state. Some states only allow plate or tag readers to be used by law enforcement, but most allow anybody to use them so they know instantly when you pull up who you are and what you ordered last time you were there they even know how you want to pay under these systems and that one has a certain creep out factor to it but i think that one people that are aficionados of particular fast food and love being in the drive-thru, will be happy to have to enroll in the tag reader program or plate reader program. And they'll say, hello, Ms. Whatever, Mr. Whatever, do you want your usual blah, 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 burger or chicken or whatever, salad? And you say yes or no. If you say yes, they say, okay, drive up. They've already collected the money on your 
your uh, payment system that you put in through the Tag Reader program, and the whole thing speeds right up. Well, that's the idea anyway. So I did something recently that I need to be like in the Tony the Tiger silhouette. I took my son through a drive-thru. Now, you know my rule. I don't go through drive throughs We came up to a drive through restaurant, and my son hates going inside. He only wants to go through the drive through And I always park and go inside. But there was not a single vehicle at the drive through And we went through, and it was like he just won $1,000. He could not believe that his father went through a drive through oh, So for me, why do I not go through a drive through Well, because most of the time, it's the opposite. The drive through will have a long line. So I went to pick up food the other day at Chick-fil-A. And there were so many cars at the Chick-fil-A that I had to park in front of the next business and walk over because you couldn't even get into it. And I walk in, I have the Chick-fil-A app, place the order on the app, go in, and wait there about 15 seconds. I have my food. I walk out, and the vehicles that were in line waiting to order had moved up a little, but they hadn't even ordered yet, and I'm already in the vehicle driving away. That's the thing. Park the car. Go inside. Save the time. It's pretty simple. Mustafa is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How you doing? Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. How can I serve you? Hey, thank you. Uh, so my wife is driving a 2010 uh, SUV. Uh, it's got that makes about, her uh, a very smart woman. Yeah, she is. She is. <laughs> uh, it's got about 106,000 uh, miles, and she pays about $100 a month for uh, full coverage. Uh, I checked on Edmunds account, and uh, it uh, appraises for about uh, $9,000 tri- uh, private party. Uh, so my question is, what should be the, like, should she keep, full, she, she's planning to keep the car for at least another year or maybe two. Uh, so should she remove full coverage, downgrade it to liability, or she should uh, consider moving full coverage only to lower the monthly cost? Okay. Uh, the intro- so first things first. The vehicle she's got is one of the most reliable SUVs ever made. Mm-hmm. So she only needs to get rid of it in a year or two because she's tired of it because it won't be tired yet. It'll go for a long, long time beyond. It'll That's be... true. She is tired of it. Okay. But think about it. It's almost 10 model years old, and it's still worth $9,000. And I, I guess, did you get this new or used? Uh, used. So they have an option to appraise used cars based on condition. I even sure. put the condition as average. And it still came up as nine. What did you pay for it when you got it used? Uh, she bought it used. Uh, I don't know the exact amount. It was like 20 something, uh, maybe 25, 24. And how long ago was that? Um, back in 2013, before, before we met Grant. So she's had it for all these years. And it's still worth this much money, and she's done all that driving in it. Sounds like she is brilliant. She is. She is. (laughs) Okay, so the math formula says 
that she should drop collision and comprehensive because once the cost of collision comprehensive are more than 10% of the remaining value of the vehicle, that's when math says you should drop it. But think about this. If you do that, if she does that, and then before you know it, um, something happens and the vehicle ends up being totaled, she's out Mm $9,000. So you can afford to take that risk if you're good savers as a couple. And even though you wouldn't like losing $9,000, you could afford to lose that. Okay. When you say 10% of the of the car value, you mean 10% was an, a one-year payment or? Yeah, so right, right. So you said it's $1,200 a year if I followed your math for collision comprehensive. Yeah. So that is more than 10% of the remaining value of the vehicle. So that would be one that math would say, because you look at the cycle of how rare it is for somebody to have an accident that totals a vehicle, that that would be the point at which you say, you know, the math's on my side to not cover it for anything but liability. I see, I see. But again, this, is, uh, this would be a terrible event if suddenly you're out $9,000. So the two of you really need to think through, are you okay with that? Yeah. So I believe it's kind of on the border right now. So maybe down the road. You could, go, you could go another year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then at that point, it would be pretty compelling to drop collision and comprehensive. You know, this is the same thing I go through with people who get the extended warranties on the TVs because they're the what ifing what might happen with the TV. But you should never, ever buy a extended warranty on a TV. I mean, that's a never, 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 not ever rule, because no TV should be as big enough a purchase that if it suddenly died outside of warranty, you wouldn't be able to replace it. A car, the math is different, and that's where there's the formula. Christopher's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christopher. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Christopher. You've got an offer that you want to know. Is it really okay? It, it, it seems almost too good to be real. I'm, I'm a T-Mobile follower. We got the uh, over 50, you know, two-line plan. And I recently got an email from them offering uh, as a bank, they call it T-Mobile Money, and they're saying to join, and they offer up to 4% annual percentage yield over three thousand dollar balance, and that sounds great. Obviously, it's, it's a, oh, it's only up yeah. to three thousand, not over three thousand. Yeah, up to right, right. correct. And so, so it's a real deal. And oh, it is. Okay. I don't know how much take up rate. You know how many people are signing up for it because it started back in uh, late winter, early spring, somewhere in there, and it's a it's a great deal. And, you know, what T-Mobile's doing with stuff like this is everything's about creating higher loyalty among their customers and making them feel warm towards T-Mobile. There was a report recently that T-Mobile stands alone among the cell phone carriers, I forget which market research company did it, where people feel um, a real attachment to them and positive feelings which is not something people normally feel towards a cell phone carrier. 
Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Four yeah, percent. Pretty good though. Four so, percent's a great deal. Yeah. Beyond that, I think you only earn one percent. Yeah, that's what it says in the fine print where I read it. But I, I thought it might be worth to put the three thousand in just just to see if you can earn it. Absolutely, yeah. and you will earn that. All right. Okay. Thanks, Clark. Thanks for all you do too. Sure. And by the way, you glossed through something right when we started, and I want to mention it again. The cell phone plan you're on is the uh, fifty and over two line plan for that's at sixty bucks a month. I think now it's 70, so you're grandfathered in, but yeah. it's a fantastic offer that so many people don't know about, and what the reason they specifically target people 55 and over is for a really interesting reason, that when cell phones started first being adopted, there were only two cell phone providers that now go by the names AT&T and Verizon. And a lot of people, being creatures of habit, have stayed with them even as they've gotten older, even though there are much better deals in the marketplace. And so T-Mobile specifically targeting people who may have been with AT&T and Verizon forever, namely people who are 50, and, it's 50 or 55, I think 55 uh, and over. 55, 55 yeah. and yeah. over, targeting them to try to yank them away from AT&T and Verizon, and so offer these really, really relatively low rates to people that have passed their 55th birthday. Well, I heard it from you, so oh. that's that's how I did it. We were Verizon customers for years and years. Well, that's and exactly, that's so funny, because yep. that's exactly who they were targeting was overpriced Verizon and AT&T. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a follow-up on something that we have been talking about for years now that's only become more and more of a ripoff. It's when you see a great hotel rate and then somehow suddenly you get to the hotel and you pay a massive amount more. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So there is now a lawsuit that has been filed by the uh, District of Columbia Attorney General. I didn't know there was such a thing as the D.C. Attorney General, I guess the equivalent of a state attorney general, who is suing the world's largest hotel chain, Marriott, for this awful ripoff that Marriott and its competitors do with the junk fees being added on where you go shop for a hotel and you see what looks like a great deal and then only maybe in the terms or often you don't know till you get to the hotel they're going to charge you a ripoff fee called an amenities fee an urban fee a resort fee or some other junk fee in other terms sometimes you'll see is destination fee and they charge you this fee now. They've been going up and up and up, sometimes approaching $100 a night extra for your hotel. And it's all about appearing to be at a lower price than the place really is. It is a deceptive, dishonest, crooked, rotten, terrible, hideous practice that the hotel chains are engaged in. We'll see if the courts feel it's also illegal, but it is unacceptable inexcusable 
I told you a story months ago about finding a hotel at a real deal. I know to always check for these, and it was a laugh I had because the hotel rate was such a deal, but they had a $65 a day amenities fee. What did it buy you? Internet. Nothing else. So basically, the internet charge was $65 a day and was mandatory. Obviously, I didn't book at that hotel. Shame on you, Marriott. Shame on the other hotel chains. These resort fees, all these fake fees, got to go away. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where you're empowered with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. It's been frustrating with how difficult it is for you to get through the mystery of medical costs and the pharmaceutical companies are all high-fiving because they won in the courts and aren't going to have to disclose prices of their drugs in their TV commercials and it's all about conning you into asking your doctor for a really expensive prescription Because in the TV commercial, they tell you how it's going to solve every problem in your life if you take this out of the other medicine. You're going to be smiling. You're going to suddenly become younger, fitter, and there's going to be a beautiful person next to you because you took whatever medicine it is. You know all those ads. Then they also, with such a positive, upbeat thing, tell you it's going to cause liver failure, uh, kidney problems, you're going to lose your eyesight, whatever it is they all say. And they all say that's so upbeat. Could cause blah, blah, blah. Okay. So it's up to you to not be manipulated by these drug companies and know what the costs are going to be up front. Uh, Caremark, which is CVS, has a new uh, check drug cost tool. And I don't know if it's available to everybody, but if you set up a Caremark account, you register for one, you're able to use this tool and it will compare costs for you at different places of filling a med, even not at CVS. And so it's almost like progressive when they say, hey, we'll tell you what other people are charging too, that kind of thing. And you can see, this is the key, different drugs that treat the same medicine, the same illness that may be lower cost to you. And this is so key with medicine because a lot of times the doctors are influenced to write prescription meds that are really expensive because they're seeing a really nice person from the pharmaceutical company who comes by, brings them lunch and all that, and they write the script. Doctors never know what meds actually cost. I mean, they're busy enough just seeing patients. They don't know. That they're writing a script for something that may be $800 when there's another medicine that'll treat it for $4. They just don't know that stuff. So it's up to you as a patient to know. So you use a tool like this one, or you use GoodRx, which is great. GoodRx.com, you know, you don't have prescription benefit, or even if you do, you can see what different meds cost. While you're there with the doctor, or the nurse practitioner or physician assistant, whoever it is you're seeing, that's when you ask him or her about the med. Hey, this one cost me $380. Is there another one you can do that might be cheaper? Or you can take in, this old-fashioned, but take in the Walmart 
prescription list of $4 medicines they have available. So you're taking control. You're taking charge of your medical costs. You're acting, not reacting. Because the worst is to get a script, get to the pharmacist, find out it's going to cost a quazillion dollars. That's a new term just for medicine. And you know you can't fill that prescription. You know, a third of all prescriptions are abandoned now at the pharmacy counter because people can't afford to buy them. And then you got to call back to the doctor's office and say, hey, I got to have something cheaper. And then they got to do the whole rigmarole of writing a new script and all that. So do it right up front and do the pricing up front so that you leave the doctor's office or PA or nurse practitioner with a prescription for something you actually can afford to buy and take. Trent is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Trent. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Trent. How can I serve you? Um, Clark, I'm, I'm considering doing a career change or retiring in about seven years. I've been looking at my retirement accounts. I've been contributing to a pre-tax traditional 401k for a long time. And I was considering switching over all my future contributions to a Roth 401k. I've heard others ask this question, and you advise that they do make the switch to a Roth. And the part that I wasn't sure about is if I'm contributing to um, a Roth outside of my 401k, if it would change that advice. It depends. So uh, first, are you single or married? Married. And what would you guess your combined income is in general terms? Uh, I would guess roughly about 145 a year, 145,000. Okay, so and that that would put you in a tax bracket that your what's known as your marginal tax rate, what you'd be paying for every dollar you put in a Roth instead of a traditional, would be 22 cents. Okay. And so that amount is a level that you're better off doing the Roth 401k and a Roth IRA than you are doing traditional at all. Okay. Because tax rates are unusually low right now, and we're running these gigantic federal budget deficits, and that's not sustainable over time. So we're going to see higher tax rates probably well within the time frame of when you're going to be retiring hopefully in seven years. So it's to your advantage to, since you already have put money over the years in a traditional, to have another pile of money that is uh, after tax, which your Roths would be, mm-hmm. and put that money aside. And then in retirement, it means you're able to do great uh, money management and tax planning where you can decide, should we bring this money out of my traditional when we need money to live on, or should we bring it out of the Roth? Because in retirement, then you, if you have those two piles, you can figure out which one is most efficient each year to pull money from, or what combination of the two. Okay, yeah, I understood that. And since we already had that plan going with our Roth IRAs, I didn't know if, if doing it inside my employer would help as well yeah definitely with the tax rates that you qualify for you want to go Roth okay great thank you for your help and you know what's so fantastic that you're saving money in the first place (laughs) living on less than what you make creating the options that you have a target specifically for retirement and we're only talking about 
where your money's going since you're already doing 401k and Roth. Good for you. Allie is with us on the Clark Howard Show, or is it Ali? Allie. Allie, great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm in Athens right now for uh, my son's um, UGA orientation. Okay. University of Georgia. Yep. Go Bulldogs. So I didn't know if you were talking Athens, Greece, or Athens, Georgia. So. <laughs> yep. Athens, Georgia. Well, how can I serve you? Well, we have three in colleges here and a daughter getting married. So to, to fund all of these things, we have just 10 days ago sold a house, but the capital gains tax on it, we lived in the house for 18 years. It was our primary house for 18. But then we tried to sell it. The economy was bad. We tried to sell it actually twice. And now we're, we just sold it 10 days ago, but the capital gains tax is 25% about. Now, wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute, you married? Yes. So this was your principal residence? No, we moved We moved out of it eight years ago. Oh. And we've been so renting you... it for eight years. Okay. So We tried, tried to sell it, but back within the whole five-year Sure, thing. sure. Okay, but so... the economy was so bad, so yeah, now we can sell it. I understand, I understand. All right, so you're subject to the capital gains... But only on the value of the home, what you're selling it for now, um, minus what you paid for it, minus whatever depreciation. So not yes. 100% of the gain is taxed, if you think of it from zero to what you sold it for, only the difference. So how much is, if you could hit me with the figure specifically, what did you pay for the home uh, all those um, years ago? 18 years, is that what you said? 26 years ago. 26. We paid like 155. And what were you able to sell it for now? What well, 350. Okay. So I mean, you're not looking at a horrendous amount of tax to clear cuz I I'm guessing you have no mortgage at this point. Uh, I don't think we have any. I think there's a little bit just from when we rolled over something. I think there's a little bit left on it. But teensy tiny. I don't know. I know my husband said our capital gains were were almost two hundred thousand on it. Okay. Well, yeah, one ninety one. So the tax you'll owe will be um, like forty nine thousand, forty eight thousand, something like that. Yes, but that's. I work for the school system. Love my job, but that's more than I bring home in a year. I understand, but look at the good news. It's worth um, almost two hundred thousand dollars more than what you paid for it. That's true. That is true. So it's a lot better than where you were eight years ago where it wasn't worth what you paid for it. I just was hoping there was some way to roll it over because the reason we're selling it is to pay for all these colleges. Sure. And I thought, is there any way to roll it no, over? No, the only kind of way you can, the only way you can is through a elaborate process called a 1031 exchange where uh -huh. you buy another investment property and put the money from this one into that, and then you don't have the money to pay for the kid's school. True. That defeats the purpose. Yeah, so I would not be... I would feel good about the gain and know that the tax bill comes with that. Okay. And, uh, and there are times it's just best... I mean, just, I mean, this is almost like we were just talking about a minute ago that tax rates are unusually low right now compared to historical numbers. 
I would pay the bill and know that the rest of the money, other than whatever remaining mortgage balance is, is free and clear, and you can use it for those expenses for your kid's school. I mean, better to have the gain and pay the tax than have no gain at all. Zachary's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Zachary. How you doing, Clark? It's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, great to have you here, Zachary. How can I serve you with college issues? Yeah, listening to that last caller was like looking into my future because I have three young children myself, and I have uh, opened up 529 plans for them. And so I'm trying to think about how much I should be investing towards college. And I'm hearing a lot of political discourse about trying to lower the cost of college and in some instances even make it free. And so I'm curious whether there are any concerns about over-investing in 529 plans based on the concern that college might be less costly in 10 to 15 years. So all that's going to happen is simple, simple economics is going to bend the price curve of colleges. Colleges are not going to continue to reach to the stratosphere in cost. That is going to change. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at the things that say that college is going to continue to increase in cost at three times the general cost of inflation in the economy. That's not going to happen. But if you look at what college costs are already, I mean, it's pretty pricey. And I would feel comfortable putting money aside in your three kids' 529 accounts. However, do you know my first rule? Which rule is that? That is that, so you don't know the first rule. The first rule (laughs) is you save the maximum you can for yourself in retirement accounts before you put any money aside in your kid's college because there's no scholarship plans for your retirement, but there's scholarships, loans, grants, uh, work, so many different things that make college possible. And so your most important priority is to put money in Roths for yourself, participate in the retirement plan at work, and you want to be maxing those things out before you're putting money into your kids' 529 plans. Got it. And yeah, my wife and I are in a fortunate position the last couple of years when we've been able to start maxing those out. And so we're looking at kind of what our next options might be, and that's what yeah, I've so turned the 529 is the right thing. Excellent. And uh, college is not going to be free. There may be, there may be uh, moderation in the cost of college, but we as a country cannot afford to just make college blanket free. Some European countries have done that. I would be stunned beyond all measure that college would ever become a free ride here in the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. How are you? Hi. Thanks for taking my question. Certainly, David. So um, I recently received uh, an agreement change notice in the mail from my credit card company stating they were adding a clause for binding arbitration. Oh, you can and just say it's Chase because <laughs> Chase it, it is doing Chase. this to everybody. It was Chase. But So the research I did on them is that, uh, like, back in 2009, they used to have this on their statements, but due to a settlement, they had a legal settlement, they had to take it off. But the terms of that settlement have now expired, so they're trying to put them all back on. But the, my question is, I was given the option to reject reject the clause. And so I understand that with the binding arbitration, if there was ever a reason to sue them, I would not be able to participate in a class action suit. The only way I could sue them was through small claims court. And so my question to you, is it worth going through the op- uh, through the effort to opt out of it? Because you have to send in like a formal written letter to opt out. Yeah, isn't it funny that they want, I, they uh, want to communicate with you in every other way electronically but on this they know that people are going to find it to be too much a bother to you know fill out uh you know write out a statement to them telling them you don't want to be in arbitration and mail it in with a stamp i mean i don't even know what a stamp costs now because i have forever stamps so this is your choice have you ever had anything with chase that's been like, ah, this smells pretty bad here. I uh, No, I've been, you know, the, the card I have, it's it's tied to um, hotel points. So I use it for that purpose to earn points. Um, and so I've never, I've never had a problem with it. Um, so, but that doesn't say, you know, I guess the fact that they gave me an option just had me thinking. And so I thought I would bring this question up to you. Yeah, so it's something that they know practically nobody's really going to do. And I would say that if you had a history with them that made you feel uncomfortable with them and made you suspicious of them and you wanted to do it, go ahead. Um, I've got the procedure on Clark.com for anybody who has a Chase credit card and doesn't want to waive their rights to sue them. But as a practical matter, the arbitration panels they have are... All the banks have kangaroo court arbitrations that they're all about trying to hurt the consumer instead of the other way around. And that is the design of it. Um, But from a personal standpoint, what are the odds that you're ever going to have an issue with your bank? You're going to want to sue them over something that happens with the credit card? Odds are very, very, very low. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.